Good morning. It's good to be with you, Linworth. Thanks for coming and joining us on this beautiful Sunday morning. Let's stand. Let's worship together. thing as I was preparing for this morning and something that, that God was just really impressing on me and 
have a feeling it might relate to a lot of you also. I, I feel like I, I make God way too small. I, I put God in this, in this convenient little box where he's always predictable and he always just kind of does what I think he wants to do. And, and, and the reality that, that God has been showing me is that he is so much bigger, so much bigger than that. And that, you know, I was thinking about the story where, where Jesus was talking about, you know, all things are possible and these, these miraculous things that he did. And like the old saying, you know, like, well, you know, the Lord can take the mountain, lift it up and throw it into the sea. And, you know, I, I've driven by lots of mountains and I always think about that when I go through the mountains, by the way. Never seen God pick up a mountain and throw it into the sea. But I believe if he wanted to, he could do it. So let's all of us, as we sing this morning, let's just enrich our faith, enrich our hearts. Let's let God be God. And not just, but just put him into this little space where he only does what we kind of want him to do or think he might do. Let's, let's believe God to be who he is. Let's let him work. And let's just open up our hearts to trust him a little bit more this morning. Let's sing together.
beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. God, that is our declaration and our prayer this morning. Declare that there is no one like you, none beside you. God, would you show us who you are this morning? Would you reveal more of yourself to us by your spirit, Lord, that we might open our eyes and open our hearts, God, with, with wonder, with love, and with trust, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Sing worthy. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy, worthy of all the praise you could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Go ahead and uh, turn and say hello and good morning to someone next to you. And kids, you can scurry off to Sunday school. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. How is everybody doing today? So today I printed out my announcements and I saw across the top it said announcements for July 24th. Can you believe it's already the end of July? It's insane. It's insane. I'm sorry. Sorry to whoever I offended. Um, I can't believe it though, but it's crazy. Uh, hey, if you're visiting today, welcome. For those of you online, welcome as well. We love that you're part of our Linworth community here. Uh, and we love sharing this time with you every single Sunday, gathering together in small groups and just being involved in each other's lives. And one of the best ways that you can get involved in the life of the church and allow the church to get involved in your life is our Connection Center. So you probably passed it on the way in. Uh, there's a lot of information there about who we are, where we came from, even churches that we've planted over the years, where we hope to go. You can get involved in small groups, meet our pastors, and just learn more about who we are as a church body. Uh, we try to be as open door as possible because we realize this is, this is not something that you, that you do, right? Church is who you are. So if you have any questions, please stop by. We have gift bags, we have uh, all kinds of information, and it's great. 
Um, one of the things I want to highlight, though, real quick is this. This is our Connect card. Um, and despite the fact that my children draw all over them every single week, they are not, in fact, coloring cards. They are Connect cards. Uh, if you, you know, don't have time and you can't stop by the Welcome Center, write down your information on here. Or if you're a first-time visitor, write down your information on here. You can reply to any of our announcements. That way we can get in contact with you. And it's just one of the easiest ways to do that. So I do have a couple of announcements. Uh, first announcement is next week, our celebration service is happening. And as you guys know, in the life of the church, what we try to do is celebrate every time there's a fifth Sunday in a month. Um, you're not going to want to miss what this celebration is about. Our theme is healing through community. Okay, so that's what church is, right? So it's just an incredible time to hear back of, of, of what's happening, what's going on. Our cross-crew ministry uh, will not be available on July 31st. However, there will be wiggle rooms open with TVs that will live stream. So next, on your way in, you probably got one of these little cards. This is called uh, Love Our City. And if you remember last year we did this, it's a collaborative effort with churches in a three-mile radius trying to reach our city. What we try to do is get together, see the needs of, of what's happening right around us, right? So last year, Linworth sponsored an event. We went over to Ridgeview Elementary, went to Centennial, and we cleaned up. It's the same type of thing this year. A couple different events, a couple different things happening. Uh, so what we want to encourage you to do is go to the website, take a look at some of the opportunities to serve. It actually starts this year on August 2nd. Uh, which will be a Civic Association-sponsored event over at the Northwest Church of the Nazarene right down here on Olentangy. Uh, you can sign up to serve and help out with that. And then there's just a couple of events throughout that week ending on August 11th that you can sign up for. Now, a lot of people ask, oh, do I just sign up for one? You can sign up for as many as you want. There will be one that will start at Linworth. So the launching point will be at Linworth, and that will be on August 10th. It's a Wednesday. Uh, but you don't have to sign up for that one. If you can't make it to that one, that's okay. We just want you to know that you have many, many opportunities to serve alongside, you know, not only our church, but the other churches and kind of hear what God is doing in those churches uh, that are, like I said, in a three-mile radius. And last, uh, Orphan World Relief. It's a ministry partner that we have had for a long, long time. They are uh, an organization that meets the needs of kids all around the world. And they do this through a variety of programs. And one of the best ways that you can support Orphan World Relief is by purchasing a shirt. This year it's called uh, the Hope Changes Everything shirt. And so for more information, you can go to the website that's listed uh, in the, the Bible app in the events section. Or, you know, I'm sure if you just wrote Orphan World Relief t-shirt on that connect card, we'd be able to get in contact with you. So. If you have any questions, again, please feel free to come up, talk to any of us. We'd love to hear from you as well. Pastor Chris. I assume that was for Alex. <laughs> best, announce, best announcement ever. Hey, good morning, everybody. Sort of a cool, not sort of, was a cool weekend. Well, let's say cool, but a, a different kind of weekend around here. And uh, we had a, uh, our ESL class was being taught on um, Saturday morning. 
uh, people that are really new to this country. And a little later on, there was a funeral here. And then last night, a lot of you, uh, the, uh, there was a wedding uh, with two members of Linworth. I uh, wasn't here, but a lot of you were participating in it. And then this morning, gathering for church, our Hispanic service will meet at 1 o'clock. Um, our high school group didn't meet last night, but Alex told me they're heading for Cedar Point on Tuesday. And uh, all part of the life of this thing called the church. And it is a thrill to be a member of it and a thrill to be a part of it. Well, this morning, if you looked at the Friday vision clips, I'm going to make a slight detour from uh, the message. It's still called Discern Your Dreams, but we're not going to look at the story between Jesus and Thomas, though that is a great story about Jesus resurrecting a dream. I'm going to go a little different direction this morning, and if you'll indulge me a little bit, I'm going to tell one of the stories of my own dreams that died a long time ago. <laughs> Anticipation. <laughs> the story for me this week began with a few of my meetings with leaders. I gave them a question in advance for us to talk about, a get-to-know-you question. I told them I'd also answer it. And the question was, it went like this, what has been one of the most memorable compliments you've received as an adult? And can you remember a special compliment you received as a child? Now, it led to some really special conversations. And compliments, as you know, like criticisms, they can sink deep into our hearts. But the compliment that I remembered, the first one I could remember as a child, was the praise that I received for making a great catch in a Little League baseball game. Now, I was maybe 10 or 11. It was a soft liner into foul territory. I was playing first base, and I made this backhand leap, lunging for the ball, jumping three or four feet into the air, <laughs> and made the catch. Now, I'm not quite sure it was three or four feet into the air. That might be my... Uh, expanded imagination. It might be less than half that. But the catch still did draw uh, gasps from the crowd. And as we came in, it was the last out, a lot of, hey, way to go, and, 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 and back pats from my coaches and teammates. And I remember how good that felt. Unfortunately, it did not make top 10 on ESPN, <laughs> even though it was a great catch. Actually, friends, there was no ESPN top 10 back then. Actually, friends, there was no ESPN. <laughs> now, there were lots of baseball compliments over the next seven or eight years. And even my weaknesses were treated with friendly, accepting banter. I could hit for distance. I often hit third or fourth in the lineup. One big game, we were actually, I was actually facing a future minor league pitcher. A fan yelled out to me. I was only about 14 at that time, and the fan was the high school baseball coach. A fan yelled out to me. He yelled out to me, hit it where the sun don't shine. <laughs> and you know what? In that instance, I did. Now, the problem is, is I couldn't run. I would hit a ball that most of my 
peers would turn into a triple or home run, and I would huff and puff into second base, barely beating the throw. And the turn of the inning, this has happened multiple times. At the turn of the inning, my teammates would say to me in a friendly way, why weren't you running? That should have been a home run. And I replied, I was going as fast as I could. And that was the truth. By the time I was a senior in high school and a leader of the team, they nicknamed me Grandpa. (laughs) Combining my tenure and my grandpa-like pace around the bases. Frankly, a a walker may have speeded me up. (laughs) But in all seriousness, baseball was a refuge to me. I was affirmed because of how I performed and how I led. It became a core source of my identity. Chris Martin, a respected athlete. It was a place where I found acceptance and affirmation. In truth, it had been a place of refuge for me for a long time. As many of you who know my story, I have many memorable uh, hurts from my childhood, uh, places of painful rejection. And with brothers much older than me and living on the outskirts of town and without a close friend, and without a smartphone, I understand now more than ever how lonely I really was. But baseball was safe. At five or six or seven or eight, baseball was a game I could create without others. Whether in my own mind or with my baseball cards or in my backyard, I could create my own games and it was a safe place. Baseball and succeeding in baseball was my greatest dream. Now, most little boys outgrow that dream. I carried it with me to Ohio State. But my little hometown in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, did not give me a true measure of the competition that I would face. I was determined naively to walk on. That was my dream. And I figured if I didn't make it the first year, I would try and try again. So I eagerly went to the three-day tryout for walk-ons that coincided with my 18th birthday. How did it go? There were 120 of us vying for maybe one spot. And I did so poorly. Oh, as a matter of fact, the other thing is that the person, other people competing for my position, the person who was the absolute all-star stud on the day one of the walk-ons, When we got to day two, when we walked onto the field, he was already on the field practicing with varsity. That was not a good omen. Matter of fact, I was so discouraged that I did not even make the long walk across campus to see the posted results. I just knew what they were. And so when I walked home the last day of the actual tryouts, I knew a dream. I knew an era was dying that day. At the same time, there was another dream. The same time that that dream was withering, there was another dream just in the seed stages. It had been slowly growing. It was a desire to live for and to follow Jesus, even a a desire to pursue vocational ministry. And in this moment of letting go of that dream and the identity that surrounded it, 
An empty space was created that God was seeking to fill with a new dream. Friends, that was nearly 44 years ago. Last week in our message, I urged you to not let your dreams die. Now to nuance that a little bit, we also said some dreams need to die or be redirected. And here is the reality that I could not quite see at 18 years old. Succeeding in baseball would never have intersected with my deepest longings, as I'd become convinced. It was not so much a wrong desire as too small of a desire. It's too small. And if we expand this same lesson out to all of you, you too may have desires and dreams that you believe will fulfill and complete you. Desires that in your reality define who you are as a person and your truest self. They fill the vision of your future. A career, a certain career, a certain lifestyle, uh, an amount of money to retire on, a bucket list for travel, or a picture of the perfect family. Are these not worthwhile things? Yes. With the right balance they can be, but they will not connect to your deepest longings as a human being. They're too small. And so it begs the question, what desires or dreams do connect with our deepest longings? And so with that question in mind, here's your outline for this morning. If you want to jot this down so you can keep track, I'm, I'm, I, I can tend to be meander a little bit, so this will help you. Number one, you can write on the back of your bulletin, dream big enough dreams. Two, discern your dreams. And then number three, very briefly, test your dreams. I'll pray here in a moment after we read some scripture. Okay, discern big enough dreams. I'm sorry, dream big enough dreams, discern your dreams, and test your dreams, all right? Okay, so you ready for the first one? Ready for number one? Big enough dreams. What is the source of big enough dreams? Well, the number one rule is this. They have to be part of a big story, which means, now your dreams, let me say this again, your dreams have to be part of a big enough story, which means, newsflash, it just can't be about you. Now, if I could, let me briefly retell the big story from the Bible to take a 30,000 foot view this morning. Now, many of you know this, but you may have never thought about it in the context of your dreams and of your deepest desires. So stay with me, even if you're familiar with this overview. Here it is. Here's God's story, big story. Ever since the beginning of time, when God entrusted the care of the planet to Adam and Eve, human beings have longed to create, design, and build. Think about it. That desire to create has allowed us to build telescopes, empowering us to see 46.5 billion light years into space. Isn't that amazing? The desire to create, we can now build cameras so small that we can explore the hidden intricacies of the body, 
We have designed imaging machines that it, it feels like magic to a person like me. It feels magical. I know it's not magic, but it feels magical. Through those imaging machines, we can peek into the womb and see the most amazing thing, a living, breathing, developing baby. I mean, what a world we live in. And the question is, where does all this creative passion in human beings come from? Well, when we look at the creation story of Genesis 1, we see the answer. We can feel it in the creative energy of an all-powerful God who says, let there be light. Who says, let the sea teem with fish. And in his magnus opus says, let us create mankind in our image. You see, and because we are created in his image, when we are in tune with God, we too have a passion to create, to bring forth new life. This is part of what it means to be human and why we find such fulfillment in creating and designing and building, whether it's Legos, our homes, our lives. What I am describing here is the same sensibility that every spiritually discerning parent feels. I have been invited by God to participate in the creation of a human being, a new life. I'm a co-creator, albeit with a small c. Friends, this creative energy is the source of our dreams. And it's what connects us to our deepest longings. As sons and daughters of God, we can partner with God as Adam and Eve did. Not only as stewards of planet Earth, but also to retake a world that is in the grips of the power of Satan and the power of sin. Whoa, did I just say that? That was a big leap. But yes, that was, that description was actually whose description of the world? That was Jesus's description of the world. The world is under sin's curse because of Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden. Friends, this is the balance of things, right? The same creative energy that led to all of those wonderful breakthroughs I just articulated is the same creative energy that designed the nuclear bomb. The world is beautiful, but it's fallen. And it is under the enemy of good. But you know how the story goes, right? God's salvation story continues. He defeated sin's curse at the cross and we, with the cross as our banner, the church is now partnering with God to extend his kingdom. His kingdom is not a physical kingdom, but a spiritual one. It resides everywhere his person and presence rules. This is, friends, the extension of his kingdom. This is the Great Commission to make disciples of every people group in the world We've often talked about this. This is the big story. This is our purpose. So within the big story, we find our purpose.
and we find the source of our best dreams because they're big enough dreams. We find a pathway to live for the glory of God, not our own. Glorifying him with our lives is the greatest possible pleasure, our deepest possible satisfaction. But as we learned last week in terms of our stories within the big story, as we learned, even those dreams, even those desires can smolder or be extinguished from discouragement, weighed down by our imperfections or failures and even our own sin. We get detoured, we get distracted. But again, we learned last week that God has the power to resurrect our dreams, to restore them, to reignite that creative impulse. And then God can help us again, identify our strongest, truest desires and empower us through the Holy Spirit to act on them. That we can dream again is reinforced in other places in the scripture. Look, for example, in Acts chapter two, it's page 910 if you're using a text Bible. Let me set up the context, then we'll stand, and I'll just read those two verses. Acts chapter 2. Again, let me set the context up first. This is Peter, same Peter we met last week. After he was restored by Jesus, he gives the first message of the Christian church, first sermon. It's on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was 50 days after the resurrection. Pentecost is the day we celebrate the birth of the church. It was a day promised by the prophets hundreds of years earlier. It was the day the Spirit of God came to live with and in his people in a far more significant way. Now the early part of Acts chapter 2 describes how the Spirit came in power and with great signs, wind, fire, Tongues, which was a supernatural capacity to speak in other languages. And so there's a bewildered audience, thousands watching this. They're baffled by these signs. And so Peter explains what's going on. And he says, essentially, this is the dawning of a new age. Not the new age of Aquarius. <laughs> Different kind of new age. Not the new age that we talk about here, you know, in contemporary times, new age mysticism. No, a new era, a new age was dawning. An age where the Holy Spirit will dwell in the hearts of everyday believers like you and me. And those ordinary believers are going to shock the world and do extraordinary things. And so Peter goes backwards, he rewinds to one of those prophets who spoke of this day hundreds of years previously, and that was the prophet Joel. Will you stand? And let's, I'm going to read Acts 2, verses 9, or Acts 2, I'm sorry, 17 and 18. Again, P Peter is quoting Joel. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. 
This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let me take a seat. Lord, seal this word into our hearts. Now, last days here, I believe, refers to this new movement of God's salvation history, a new way of God working. It is the age of Jesus the Messiah leading and working through his church. Now, these last days are spoken of in other places, such as Hebrews 1-2 or 1 Peter 1-20, and it is the age that we are living in right now. This age began with the coming of the Spirit on Pentecost, and it culminates with the return of Jesus at the climax of history. That age will end at his return. His return is an earth-shattering, catastrophic, can't-miss event, and it is described in verses 19 and 20. So I believe that Joel is describing the beginning and the ending of the Messianic age that we live in. What will be the features of this new era? Great things, great acts of faith will bubble up from unexpected places. Ordinary believers will shake up the world. They will prophesy, meaning they will boldly proclaim the mighty acts of God. And they will have spontaneous bursts of insight. They will be given words of wisdom. They will be given words of knowledge. These words will be spoken to individuals or to churches. These words will be, they will come to individuals or churches or movements at unique or pivotal moments of time in their histories when they need a word of guidance or comfort or rebuke. The young, the old, men, women, those with status, those without status will all participate in this work to encourage, to edify, and to build up Christ's kingdom. But we are talking about dreams this morning, right? So let's hone in on that phrase. Did you catch that phrase? Your old men will dream dreams. Old men! Do you typically think of old men dreaming dreams? Right? Something's, something's upside down with this. No, 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 no. Old men are those whose time has passed. Their energy has dissipated. Their stature has been reduced by bitterness or resentments. We have a modern moniker for this reality and it's uh, encapsulated into a movie. Grumpy, old men. Right? I mean, we are rightly surprised and we are inspired when we hear news of old people still dreaming, right? For example, a few examples. One, Anna Mary Robertson Moses, known as who? Thank you. Grandma Moses did not start painting until she was 76. How about William Shatner? who went to space for real at age 90. Or how about this woman? Let's go to the next one. 
How about this woman? Who, how many know who this is? Anybody? Okay, this is a very famous person, particularly within homeschooling families. This is Laura Ingalls Wilder. She was 64 when she wrote the first of her series, say it with me, Little House on the Prairie. Isn't that remarkable? Um, Tammy, if you could go back to the Acts 2 passage, if we could, that, or, or Reese, go back to that passage in Acts 2. So what is the comprehensive impact of this passage? The visions, the dreams, the prophecy will restore and will rebuild and it will yield new life. The Spirit will bring creative, passionate energy to his church and his people and they will extend his kingdom. Those who dream new dreams within the kingdom of God will think and feel it so deeply that it will transform their identity, the way they view themselves and their future. You see, this is more. This participation in God's kingdom is more than just a few activities a year or volunteering a few nights or just dropping a little bit in the offering basket. These are dreams that transform our names. For example, look at Isaiah 58 verse 12. Isaiah 58 verse 12 says this, and then I'll give the context. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Isaiah 58 is a call at that historical cultural moment in the history of Israel. It's a call to the people of God to give up playing at religion, to give up your fast, which are really no fasts at all and to pursue justice and mercy at work, at home, and in your community. We too are surrounded by broken walls, aren't we? We too are surrounded by broken walls. The lives of people around us are in ruin. Families are in ruin. Our community is in ruin. Our nation is in ruin. We are awash with confusion as people in our culture are searching for any kind of anchor to understand who they are, their identity. We, as believers, we ought to know who we are. And we ought to know why we exist. And we ought to remember that we have some answers. The people of God in this context, we're urged to abandon their lifeless religiosity and spend themselves on behalf of the hungry and to satisfy the needs of the oppressed. There are those in our community who hunger physically and they need us to give from our abundance to assist them. Our pantry helped a family this week, a family very new, to this country, a family who endured incredible odds and incredible danger to leave a very politically oppressive country. And they are already working very hard to make it, 
but they still need help. And friends, it is not just charity. It is right for us who have an abundance to give to those who are in need. It is right for us to do that. To whom much is given, much is required. And there are those that hunger spiritually. And they need us to share Jesus verbally. Just living a good life is not enough. Just doing good works or being a good example or serving is not enough. They need our words. They need us to find the intersection of empathy and truth to the false narratives in our culture that are bringing so much pain and confusion. If we don't convey the truth with compassion, friends, who will? Who will if we don't? The text says if we spend our energy and our dreams around meeting the needs of our community and city, if we lift up those who are genuinely under some hand of oppression. For example, again, right here, recently, one of our families here, one of our families graciously opened up their home and they housed another family who was in desperate need. And all the money that they had, or most of the money that they had had, was taken by an unscrupulous landlord. They were taken advantage of. This woman stood in the gap and helped meet that need in the moment. God promises in Isaiah 58 that if we do this, <clears throat> if we lift up the oppressed, if we satisfy the needs of the hungry, he will strengthen our frame. He will satisfy our needs in a sun-scorched land. We will be like a well-watered garden and a spring of water that never fails. I encourage you to spend a little time in Isaiah 58. The promises there that God makes, the responsibilities that he gives to us, I mean, they will, the promises will inflame your imagination as to what he wants to do in your life. I mean, you can be like, just picture your life like a well-watered garden. If we spend ourselves for those in need, that's the kind of people we will become, God promises. Do you see how their very identity was transformed? Do you see the name that they were given and how that name helped them to picture their future? You will be called a repairer of broken walls. You will be called a restorer of streets with dwelling. You will rebuild the city. Friends, you will be part here today of bringing spiritual and cultural revival to Columbus. You know, this is the vision, by the way, of a group called For Columbus, which we are a part of. It is a robust city-reaching effort involving hundreds of churches and ministries committed to making Jesus Lord of our city. The effort that Alex spoke of earlier called Love Our City is just one small expression that speaks of the collaborative efforts around our city to not promote one single church, but to promote the church of Jesus in our city. It's pretty exciting, the kinds of things that are happening in Columbus. Okay, so that's a lot to think about, right? That's kind of way up here. But hopefully it ignites your imagination and helps you to dream big dreams 
the source of which is God's big salvation story. Now, let me spend a few moments here on the second part to get a little more practical. How do I discern my dreams? How do I discern my dreams? Okay, Chris, that was really good. That was very helpful. Now my imagination is all fired up. My creative juices are flowing, and I have 10 ideas, and I have time to do one, right? Isn't that what we face? How do I discern my dreams? How do I discern my part of the story? Well, in the past, here are some ways that we have encouraged you to answer these exact questions. Number one, we've encouraged you to begin serving somewhere. Experiment until you find the right fit. Secondly, we encourage you to inventory or to review where your life has already been fruitful. That may be part of God's leadership in your life. Thirdly, we encourage you to study spiritual gifts, to do a spiritual gift inventory, to discuss your results with a trusted leader. That's been a staple of what we've taught for many, many years here. And finally, maybe most importantly, to invite trusted friends to affirm your strengths, to invite friends, trusted friends, to speak into your life and to, to ask them, what strengths do you see in me? This is powerful stuff. I encourage every life group to do that. Take, it, take a night for each person or couple of people. And as a group, discuss what strengths you see in that person. But to that knowledge base this morning, let me add a few things from my own learnings here. A few things from my own journey. You know, you know that uh, I've been spending time looking at the next 10 or 15 years of my life. If God indeed gives them, he may not. But if he does, I've been thinking about the next 10 to 15 years and what kind of ministry things are in my future. And so I've been walking down this process of a discerning process of trying to hear God. So some of these lessons come from those reflections. Here's the first thing. Oh, let me say this as well. It was helped greatly by a book by Ignatius, Ignatius of Loyola. He was a Jesuit priest in the 1600s. And uh, let me just mention a little bit about Ignatius. He's Catholic, of course, and it's Jesuit priest. Uh, we're Protestant. There are a number of really key things that we do not share the same view of with our uh, Catholic friends, things related to salvation or related to the authority of the Bible. And yet for many years, for a long time, a lot of Protestants, a lot of evangelicals have found Ignatius's writings, particularly on the spiritual disciplines, to be very helpful and very much in line with Protestant theology. So I just want to share that because these are, these are some, uh, uh, some hints or uh, ideas from him, and I found them from my own life very helpful. Here's number one. You need a quiet and consistent prayer life. To dream big dreams, you need a quiet and consistent prayer life. What do I mean when I say quiet? Because prayer is much more than talking to God. It is learning to listen. You ever witnessed a one-way conversation in a coffee shop or restaurant? I mean, it just drives me nuts. I just want to just stand up and just say, hey, person, I've been watching you for 45 minutes and the other person has not said a word yet, right? I just, you know, it's, it's hard to listen if you're doing all the talking. So you might be a prayer, 
but have very little discernment. Here's what one writer, Thomas Green, said. He said, discernment remains obscure and mysterious to most prayers, and this despite the fact, as I believe, discernment is the essential link between prayer and the act of Christian life, the meeting point of prayer and apostolic action. That's very insightful, discernment. We need discernment. And it doesn't come from us doing all the talking in our prayer lives. To be able to pay attention to the stirrings of our heart, you need a regular pattern of becoming quiet before the Lord and learning to hear the voice of the Spirit. Learning to hear God, learning to listen, is a part of the discipline of prayer that we rarely practice. You know, Paul urged us in Ephesians chapter 6 to pray in the Spirit. What does he mean to pray in the Spirit? Well, praying in the Spirit begins with the Holy Spirit assuring us of God's presence and of his power to answer our prayers. This assurance is a game changer. It changes everything about prayer. It turns it from a sterile religious exercise into enjoying and delighting in the presence of another. That assurance is a supernatural revelation. You can't conjure it up, friends. You can't perform some magic or say the right words or do some formula or do some ritual to conjure it up. That's called magic. No. It's a supernatural revelation by which we need the Holy Spirit. It is the raw stuff of faith. And it means that I live in conscious awareness, that I live in two realms simultaneously. I live in a natural realm, and I live in a supernatural realm at the same time. Listening helps me build that relationship. And quieting myself first allows the Holy Spirit to do that ministry of assurance. I try to begin most mornings with slowing down to be with Jesus first and to recognize his presence. I do this by telling God, I affirm you, God, I cannot pray, I cannot seek you, I cannot read your word in my own power or through my own enlightenment. So I begin by inviting the Holy Spirit to show me how to pray, how to overcome my unbelief, and to make me aware of his presence. And then I wait and sit still and listen. You see, in this posture of stillness before the Lord, I begin to discern the, the passions and the stirrings of my heart, where God is moving and speaking and bringing scripture. Just bam, 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 bam. And he's connecting me to the facets of ministry that he has for me. A friend, I can't tell you how this is, I can't lead this church without that. Many mornings I'm sharing situations, I'm listening, I'm sharing complexities. And he's giving me direction and he's giving me answers. And it might be the answer to what to, what to do or what more often is the case. I'm praying about what to do over here. And what he says in those times of waiting is, here's your next best step. Okay, all right. I'll continue to live in suspense and anxiety. But here's the next best step to do, the next step. 
Answers to my questions begin to come into focus. As I mentioned, I'm in a place right now where I'm in this discernment process. And in the place of listening, he is connecting his heart to my own. And in that place, I find that my emotions and my desires are spiritually awakened. He is working through my desires. But for us to recognize this, we must be quiet before him. And we must learn to pay attention to what he's saying to us through, our, through his spirit within us. In this quiet, we begin to pay attention to the things that move us, to the things that make us cry, to the things that energize us, to the things that make you want to get to work. When you start answering those questions, what makes me cry? What makes me want to get to work? What energizes me? You are likely moving down the path of discerning his dream for you. You know, many think that God wants to crush our desires. That desires are all the problem. Yet when we are operating in the spirit, the, the realm of the spirit, when we are delighting in him, valuing what he values, God connects us to our deepest desires. Ones that reflect our true self in Christ. Not a broken, pretend, false self. Again, many teach that it's God's will to crush our desires. Psalm 37, 4, David said, delight yourself in the Lord. He understood this. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Mark Thibodeau, uh, who summarized uh, some of Ignatius' thoughts on this, said this about Ignatius. said, Ignatius, he believed, Ignatius believed that God inflames the heart with holy desires and with attractions toward a life of greater divine service and praise. Now, some of you might think that this idea of awakened emotions is just trusting our feelings. That, Pastor Chris, what you're really saying to me is do whatever feels good. Or what you're saying to me is to follow your heart, which happens to be our culture's most cherished die-on-the-hill-for belief. I'm not saying that, friends. If you're hearing me say that, I am not saying that. God working through your desires does not mean you're going to have an easy life. As a matter of fact, it means you're going to have a harder life. It means that there are going to be times when you do what you desire and it will come with great risk. It'll be incredibly hard. Following my own desires recently has led me to dangerous choices and dangerous places in the last few years. Some of our most difficult things we ever do will be because we're following our desires to glorify God. Of course, desires can play a role in making us making sinful choices. But Ignatius, as well as Martin Luther and later C.S. Lewis, would characterize it differently than many Christian thinkers and writers do today, who would have you eliminate and disparage all desire. Ignatius and Luther and C.S. Lewis thought of sin, rather. Sin is a disordered desire. It is a desire that is out of proportion. It is out of balance. It is being fueled by negative things. It is not the desire that is in of itself that is wrong. But it is the fact that the desire is become disordered. 
It is through a consistent and quiet or listening prayer that my soul gets oriented in a way that I can begin to recognize the voice of my Father. Isn't that what Jesus said? My sheep know my voice. They know my voice. Okay, here's a few other things quickly on ways that you can discern your dreams besides a quiet and consistent prayer life. Something else Ignatius encouraged was prayer brainstorming. Again, that's our, our modern language. I don't think brainstorming existed back then, but the concept did. And what Ignatius encouraged us to do is to ask these kinds of questions. What's the problem I'm dealing with? What are all the opportunities? Who are the people involved? And what are the other options? We're so used to thinking in option A and B. And so often there are options C and D that God can bring to us through prayer or sometimes bring to us through others. Prayer brainstorming can help us discern our dreams. Here's another one that Ignatius gave. That is to ponder the dream in prayer, to ponder the dream. Ponder the possibilities that God is giving to you. Ponder them and ask these kinds of questions, these kinds of discernment questions. And again, if you uh, would like to get these from me, we'd be happy to send them to you if you're not able to write them down here. Happy to send them to you. For example, which of these dreams leaves me filled with holy and wholesome desires? Which leave me with a sense of closeness to God? Which leave me filled with faith and hope and love? Which make me want to go out and proclaim them to the world? Which leaves me with a deep down sense of tranquility? What Ignatius called this was consolation. He says, when we're moving within the power of God and God is speaking to us, we have this sense of consolation. We begin to experience consolation as opposed to desolation. Often when we're not aligned with God, we feel unease, we feel rushed, we feel hurried, we feel agitated, we feel ill at ease. But when God speaks, when God speaks, when God is helping us discern our dream, he gives a sense of consolation. Next, Ignatius encourages us to offer my tentative decision. And what he means by that is, go ahead and imagine yourself fulfilling that dream. Go ahead and imagine yourself acting on it. If you have three or four possibilities, imagine yourself living it out. Imagine yourself acting on it. This was a great help to me. In my own journey of thinking through three or four or five options, I realized, hey, two or three of these options aren't really the way God has wired me. They really aren't the way God designed me. And I came to that conclusion by imagining and acting out and envisioning and picturing me actually living out and acting on that dream. And then finally, this one we've already commented on so many ways. Seek confirmation from pastors, mentors, and trusted friends. All of this is a process to discern your dreams and how God wants to use you within his big story to be part of the great commission, to be part of retaking this world for his and Christ's kingdom, okay? Please know that God does not move on your timetable. He does not move on your timetable. Be patient. 
Allow this to gradually come. Don't force things. Allow God to speak. Give it time. God will work things out. He is never early and he is never late. He is always right on time. You will feel as if whenever there's progress in anything, there will be times of anxiety. There will be times of instability. There will be times when it doesn't feel like God is showing up. That is all part of the process of growing and discerning God's dream. So don't be surprised. It just doesn't come to you like in a flash. You know, the first time you pray, you spend two minutes praying. Boom, there it is. Could happen. Likely not going to happen. Likely will come through a slow process. Give it time. Don't force it. Feel comfortable. Embrace the instability. Embrace the suspense or anxiety of not knowing. That's part of following Jesus. That's part of walking by faith. And then last thing here is to test your dreams. So discern them. I mean, dream them. Dream his dreams. Secondly, discern them. And then thirdly, test them. Here's just three ways to think about your dreams. I'm just going to read them, and then we're going to conclude. Number one, a heart's desire will excite and energize your spirit. I believe that. Generally speaking, a heart's desire is going to excite. may not be easy. may be very difficult. may require great risk. But at the base of who you are, it will excite and it will energize your spirit. Secondly, a heart's desire will sometimes feel too big or presumptuous. It'll feel presumptuous. It'll feel like, ah, I'm just, this, it'll feel too big. It'll feel like, I can't do this. It'll feel like um, I'm trying to show off or something. Since these heart's desires are from God, they will be God-sized. They'll be God-sized. And then finally, if a heart's desire is from God, you will often find Jesus expressing it or someone in the Bible living it out. You know, I readily admit, and I certainly have done this, that I conflate my dreams with what I want God's dreams to be, right? I conflate my dreams with what I want God's dreams to be, and that certainly can happen. But please know this, that if your dreams, when we think about Jesus, finding in Jesus' life, so often what we hear from God and so often our dreams that tends to expand our power, or it expands our wealth, or it expands our influence, or it puts us on a platform, or in some way feeds our ego, let me just say this, that if your dream does any of that, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying work harder to discern it. Work harder to discern it. If it inflates your power, or your ego, or your wealth, or your influence, test it a little more deeply. Because we tend to hear, right? We tend to hear what we want to hear. We tend to conflate our dreams with God's dreams. But remember, those are not his big story dreams. They're just yours. And then you want God to show up and fulfill it for you. Okay? That's not going to connect to your deepest dreams and your deepest longings. So in conclusion, friends, what am I asking? You guys, uh, David and Caleb, come on up. Because we're going to respond to his word through worship. We're going to respond through his word in worship. Here's the conclusion to our time. What am I asking you to do? What, is, what do I believe God is asking us to do as a community, as individuals, 
that you will slow down to be with Jesus. You will discern his God-sized dreams for you. And you'll act on them. And friends, if we do, Linworth will be called a repairer of broken walls, a restorer of city streets. We'll be a part, along with hundreds and thousands of others, to bring spiritual and cultural revival to the city of Columbus. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, now, help us to respond to what your Holy Spirit is saying and doing this morning. If I could just speak for a moment, friends, with you. You know, the word, the image that keeps coming to my mind as I think about our church and this particular juncture of where we are, the word that comes to my mind for my own life and for us is the word plateau. I wonder how many of us have plateaued. We plateaued because we have enough of God. We've got enough of Him. We're comfortable. Sort of situated here in the church and situated in my community and situated in my family. And I'm comfortable. I've got enough of God. But you've plateaued. thirsty for more of Him. You're not thirsty to be used by Him in greater ways. Again, disappointments and failure and, man, life. Whew, older you get, man, it just, I, I see why that scripture says, your old men will dream dreams. I'm not going to ask you to stand up as we did last week. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Just before God, talk to Him. Be open with Him. If you've plateaued, if you can't remember the last time you took a risk for God, can't remember the last risk you took. Because if we're growing, friends, it, 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 the risk just never stops. It never stops then let me just encourage you to do business with God right here, right now. Letting that creative passion, the energy of the Holy Spirit come on you and birth new dreams. Birth new dreams. Maybe dreams you hadn't imagined before. But you've got to open your heart. You've got to open your heart. You've got to be vulnerable. There's no other way around it. So as we sing, friends, as we sing, we'll place our eyes on him. Let his Holy Spirit speak and ask him to renew our lives, renew my life, renew the lives of our pastors, renew the life of our life group leaders, renew the life of our ministry leaders, our husbands, wives. Let's sing. Let's sing and sing as if we do believe the words that we're singing. So let me ask you to stand if I could take that spot, David. Let me ask you to stand and let's sing, pray, and become vulnerable before him.
thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me yet Waiting for change to
surrender, Father. Would you give us more and more of yourself, Lord, that we might come alive and that we might live for you. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together with one last song this morning.
here a couple of things one will you pray with me we're going to pray for discover life which begins wednesday night and again a reminder to all of you to be praying and inviting it's still not too late you can bring a friend this wednesday and uh, or if you're a new or you're searching yourself you're a new christian or you're searching uh, this is a great three-week class to learn basics of what it is to follow Jesus. Let's take a moment. Could we, could as a congregation now and pray for this first Wednesday evening. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask you that this would be a place where people searching, where people with questions, where people who want something different in life can come and hear the story of Jesus in a way that is safe, in a place where their questions can be answered, in a way that is meaningful. And so we entrust all those who are working behind the scenes, those who will be speaking, Lord, the, the, the dinner that's being prepared. Lord, every detail we ask you to work out and to bring many, Lord, of our uh, searching friends to this church on Wednesday night. We entrust that to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, secondly, one of our members who has been connecting to that big story, and in her case, connecting in it through being involved in global missions and discipling um, other young men and women, uh, Abby Hubacher uh, is serving with YWAM in Australia. This will be her last Sunday here. And so we'd like to pray for her and to send her back with our prayers. So immediately after the service, if you'd like to pray for Abby, we're going to gather by the baptismal. We'll lay hands on her, circle her, and commit her and her work to the Lord. And of course, lastly this morning, if your dreams are smoldering, if you can't discern your dreams and you're stuck, or you're in that place of anxiety or uncertainty, come forward. Speak with a member of our prayer team and let us pray for you, okay? So glad you could worship with us this morning. He is worthy, he is worthy. And because he is worthy, now may God himself, the love of God, fellowship and connectedness to the Spirit, and the grace of Christ be with you. Amen. Amen. Let's go and serve.